All right, so we are starting this new series today, dealing with momentum, and um, we're talking about how God uses momentum, and it may seem a little weird because, um, you know, you think, okay, it's kind of strange, momentum, but this is actually, you're going to see part of God's character, part of who he is as we walk, walk through this. So um, let me ask you this, anybody here um, good at math? Anybody good at math? Julie. All right, great. Ben's not good at math. No, man. I am horrible at math. I'm, you know, I mean, like I can do the English, the whole, uh, you know, English kind of thing, but uh, math, not my strong subject. What do you teach, Cassidy? Math. So, so Cassidy is good at math. Cassidy did not raise her hand. What, what happened there? <laughs> so, so Cassidy's a math teacher. What do you teach specifically? Okay, so, so here's the thing. When I was in 11th grade, I had trigonometry. Is that, what, is that one of your classes? That's advanced math. In 11th grade, I had trigonometry. And um, this was one of these things where, you know how math, it, it, unless it's changed, and correct me if I'm wrong, Cassidy, if, if it's changed, but math, you get there the first day, right? You learn something. Then the second day, you learn something that's built upon that. It's still the same, right? And then the third day, it's built upon what you learned the first two days, and it goes on and on and on. So I'm in 11th grade. I'm taking this trig class. I've got this teacher who drones on and on, and I'm just determined. I'm going to focus. I'm going to get this whole math thing down because um, I was all right with algebra, and then algebra 2, geometry kicked my tail, okay? Because that's not really math. That's like English math with angles, right? I mean, you're, you're dealing with, what are those, theorems? I mean, come on. You don't put English with math, right? But, but it's a math. And so it kicked my tail. So I go into trig, and I'm like, all right, this is math. I'm going to stick with this. I'm going to get it. Third week, I am out. I am so lost. I mean, just completely lost. I'm like, what in the world is going on? And, and my teacher was not a, a big help, and it probably would have helped if I walked up to her and said, I'm lost. But it, nonetheless... I just got lost, third week, 11th grade. I think they teach trig now in, what, third grade now, you know, as, as advanced as kids are. It's just un unbelievable. Um, and, and so just like math, this, this message series is actually going to build upon itself. So, like, all these jokers who aren't here today, you know, because they're trapped in their house or whatever, they're going to be lost as soon as they get in. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Andrew, if you'll do a recap of all of that I'm saying today, that'd be great. Yeah, <clears throat> next week. Um, so here's the thing. This message series is going to actually walk us through your relationship with Christ and how it grows. Okay? Um, your, your, your math, your trig, trig builds upon itself, but it builds upon itself in such a way that, you know, it's problem solving. It's, what, what did I write down here? It's memorization, Right? You've got to memorize the formula, and then it's problem-solving. But your relationship with Christ is built upon itself experientially, right? I mean, you, you want to experience a relationship with Christ. When you read this, you want, to, you want to pray through it and say, God, how does this apply to me? You want, it to, you want to experience God. When God comes into your life and does something incredible or just speaks to you, you are experiencing, experiencing God. And so... That's what we're going to talk about. Now, as you grow, as you experience God, you, you find that you have to grow in that relationship. You have to trust 
him. And we've talked about that before. And so as you grow, he's going to challenge you and stretch you. And, and as he does that with others around you, say he does it with Tiffany here, and then he's doing it with Andrew here, and then he does it with, with Cassidy here, as he's doing it with all of us, and we're all kind of growing, and we're being challenged by God and stretched by God, then all of a sudden we look around and we realize, wow, we're kind of all moving the same direction. We're, we're all in line with the same vision that God's given us. Do you know what this is called? It's called the church. This is, this is pretty cool. This is how God sets up the church and how he works. And, and what happens is we become a Holy Spirit-driven force, if you will. And, and, and the, the Bible says, Scripture says, that nothing can defeat the church. So, this is, this is a big deal. We're going to walk through and look at how momentum plays into this whole snowball, if you will. Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 10. Let me give you uh, kind of a quick intro of what momentum is. And like I say, for some of you math uh, people, you probably know a little bit more about this than I do. But um, math is kind of physics. Physics and math kind of go together. Um, the, the physics definition of momentum, this is the physics definition of momentum. It's strength or force gained by motion. Strength or force gained by motion. So that would be momentum, right? All right. Now, the church definition for our church context, this is what the, the definition would be. I think we'll, we'll have it up there. Um, uh, forward motion fueled by a series of wins for God's kingdom. Does that make sense? For our church context, it is forward motion fueled by a series of wins for God's kingdom. One of the things that, that we lack as a church sometimes is momentum, this, this momentum. Because, you know, sometimes we have days like this and, you know, we, we kind of, if we thrive off of attendance, we feel like, oh, we don't have any momentum. However, this morning, I really feel like we've got a lot of momentum. I mean, the, the worship, I don't know, this morning something's stirring inside of me, maybe you too, and, 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 and so I feel like this momentum is, is going. So I've learned a long time ago, you don't base momentum or, or like how the church moves based off of attendance. It's hard to do, though. Now, if, if forward motion, fuel, if uh, our, our momentum is forward motion fueled by a series of wins for God's kingdom, does that make sense? Um, in other words, um, we want to obey God. That is a win. And when we see God speaking into us, that is a win. And then when we obey him as he speaks to us, that is a win. You know, you know what I'm saying? This is what I'm talking about for our personal lives. And then we see that as, as people around us. Now, here's the thing. Momentum is created when something new happens. Momentum is created when something new happens. Take your time. Think about that, right? You're like, hang on, is that true? Momentum is created when something new happens. Here's, here's the thing. If I, if I, um, all right, if I throw this up in the air, here's what I want us to do. I want us to try to keep it up in the air, okay? Okay, here we go. You ready? All right, I'm going to do something new to it. Ready? I'm making this up on the fly. All right, I'm going to do something new to it, and, and we're going to see how long this momentum lasts. All right, 
Good. Okay. All right. So everybody, okay, so, so, so notice something that happened here. First of all, I think we tagged Kara in the head. Apologize for that. Um, I think you get beat up a lot when you come here, don't you? I mean, it's, sorry. Um, so, so here's the thing. I throw it up in the air. It's new momentum, but it starts to die, and it comes back down. So something new comes back and hits it again. It starts to die. Something new constantly. Now, in Scripture, we see two types of momentum. Two types of new things happening. One is, is uh, spiritual momentum. This is God doing something new. This is God doing something new. This is momentum that is created by God because he does something new, and often it's unexpected. Think, think through big events in Scripture. Um, the Red Sea, right? They're, they're all leaving, and they're running away from the Egyptian army, and God says, hey, put your staff in the water, Moses. And he's like, all right. And he does it. And then, right, big trail through the lake. And, you know, the whales are kind of swimming on either side, at least in the cartoon. And, and, and so God is doing something new. And God does that often throughout Scripture. Now, there's another type of momentum. It's called manufactured momentum. I, I, I wish I could come up with another word, but it, it's a good type of momentum as well. But this is momentum where God uses you to do something new as you are obedient to him. God is using you to do something new as you are obedient to him. You, you may hear him calling you to do something, um, and so you step out and in faith do it. Um, this momentum is created by you because you are doing something new as you're led by God. Is that making sense? Okay. All right. Now, that's kind of an overview of momentum. Here's the problem that we have uh, personally. I know I have this problem. Uh, I'm sure you do too. Um, the problem, well, let me, let me throw this out. The thing that we need most in our lives is true, authentic, sustained relationship with Christ. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, you know how your relationship kind of goes, you know, you're, you're, you're working on it and then it kind of drops and then, you know, you're, you're, you're up and down. And sometimes you'll say, well, I'm kind of plateaued right now or I'm in a rut. But, but actually, uh, if you're in a rut, that, that really means you're kind of going down, right? You just, you just don't know how to stop going down. Um, and, and so that is the problem that we have with our relationship. It's, it's so up and down all the time. And so what we need is this sustained relationship where we're continually growing in our walk with him. So um, let me give you kind of an illustration of this before we jump into scripture. Um, I want to I kind of package this, this message and what we're going to look at in scripture here as, as a snowball. So um, uh, I got a video um, of, and maybe you saw this over the holidays, of, uh, of this guy uh, rolling a snowball. Do we have that, uh, Ron? Infinity Limited Engagement Winter Event. So everybody go out and buy an, an Infinity. Um, so so you, see, you see kind of what I'm talking about. You know, you've got this snowball, and this is you and your relationship with Christ. 
And then you begin to, to kind of roll it down the hill, and as you roll it down the hill, it builds up momentum and more and more and more and more momentum, and it grows and grows and grows. And pretty soon, what you realize is that you are not in control anymore. You are not in control of your relationship with Christ. And I say that, in other, in other words, I say, like, say that in meaning you are just instinctually obedient to him and his word. So, um, here's the thing. Today we're going to look at personal, your personal spiritual momentum. Then we're going to look at um, the church momentum. Uh, um, Andrew's going to talk a little bit more about personal spiritual momentum next week. I'm kind of giving kind of a, an overview of it. And... Um, He's going to talk more about it, and then we're going to talk about church momentum and, then, and how God uses the church. So um, I want us to get our snowball going. And, and here's, here's the thing I want us to do, like I said. I want us to get to a point to where we are instinctually obedient, right? I mean, because that's, that's tough. But what if we got there? What would that look like? What would the church look like if, if, if we are just following the Holy Spirit and, and the Holy Spirit is, is walking along, and he says, I'm going this way, do you want to come? And you instinctually say, yeah. You instinctually just go. What would that, what would that look like? So, um, as we manufacture momentum, that's us doing our part, what you're going to find, and what you're going to see here in Scripture, is that God will come in, and, and, and through spiritual momentum, he challenges us. This is that spiritual momentum, and he asks us, to choose. So Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. We're going to look at two guys, Cornelius and Peter. All right? Cornelius and Peter. And, and I want to do it a little differently today. Have you ever seen those movies where, like, you're watching one guy and then it flips over to another guy? They have nothing to do with each other. And you go through the whole movie, right? And you're just like, what in the world's going on? And then somehow, boom, in the end, I could not think of a single movie when I was thinking of this, but they're out there because I know. But, um, you know, or, or you see these two guys, and you watch them, and they come in the middle, and they, and they join together for a common cause. This is kind of what we're looking at today. So let's look. Um, we're going to look at how to pack the snowball first. We're going to look at how Peter and, and Cornelius, you see both in these stories, manufactured momentum and spiritual momentum. And, and you're going to see here that both of these guys have a heart of prayer and radical obedience to God. So let's, let's look. We're going to jump around, okay? So, so don't get ahead of me. Uh, verses 1 through 6 first. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. I don't know why that name's funny to me, Cornelius. Um, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. So he's a soldier, right? He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. That's important because they had a heart of prayer, right? They had a heart after God. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. At, uh, one day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius! Right, because there's an exclamation point. Cornelius! <laughs> Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. So that's a pretty big deal, right? You're like you're 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 praying and and you're you're helping people out, but you do it because you want to follow God. And he didn't know Jesus at this time. This wasn't like uh, I had a relationship with Christ. He was just he was just like this dude that knew and had heard about the Jewish God and wanted to follow him as best he knew how. Right. So verse five, he said, God says to him, 
Send, uh, now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. Now jump to verse 9, okay? Don't, don't read ahead. Don't cheat. All right, verse 9 through uh, 16. Let's look at Peter, what Peter's doing right now. About noon, the following day, as they were on their journey approaching the city, those are the guys that uh, Cornelius was sending, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the, mi- the meal was uh, being prepared, he fell into a trance. So this is similar to Cornelius's vision, right? Uh, only maybe it's a, like a deep daydream or something like that. Uh, I'm not really sure, but it's very similar. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. Okay, so, I mean, if you're here, this is kind of like, you know, kind of a little weird. Um, it contained all, all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Um, now, now, this is representative uh, in the Old Testament of there are certain animals you could eat and certain animals you couldn't eat. And so you had all of these animals together on this blanket, right? And, and he's looking at it, and, you know, I'm, maybe there's a, a, a pig in there, a hog, a good, good pork in there. And then all of a sudden, verse 13 says, Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Now, Peter's looking at these animals going, Whoa, hang on. Now, th- we're not supposed to do that because, you know, they're, they're unclean. And so he says, Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. And the voice told, spoke to him a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. So God is, is being very specific here, and he's saying, listen, listen, listen. Jesus died, he died for you, but he's, he's making all this stuff clean as well. Just as the blood of Christ has cleansed you from your sin, it's okay to now eat these things, okay? But there's a deeper meaning, and we're going to find this out in a minute. But notice something here. With Cornelius, what do we see? Cornelius is a man of prayer. He has a heart of prayer, and and, and he has this radical obedience. We're going to see that in just a second. Peter is a man of prayer. What are they both doing? They're spending time in prayer, if you want to grow in your relationship with Christ, if you want to see God do something, if you want that snowball to get rolling, you have to spend time in prayer. I mean, and I'm not talking, I've talked about this before, I know, but it, I'm not talking about, God, thank you for all that you've done for me. Bless this food to our bodies. Amen. I'm talking about and there's nothing wrong with that prayer, please understand me. But I'm talking about you take the time out to spend quality time with him. Not quantity time. Quality time ends up turning into quantity time most of the time. You know what I'm saying? You get up early and you're spending time with God and you're talking to him. And then all of a sudden you realize, oh, I got to go to work. And you're like, I don't want to go to work. This is great. I'm, you know, speak, God's speaking to me. I'm talking about this is great. And you're like, I got to go to work. You know, so that's, that's the kind of momentum we want to have. We want to spend time in prayer and then have a radical obedience to him. Look at verse 7, going back to Cornelius. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and the devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. 
Now put yourself in his shoes real quick, okay? Um, Cornelius has never, has probably never had this experience, right? He's just hanging out. Um, he's just praying, spending time with God, and all of a sudden he sees, has this vision. I don't know about you, but for me, I'd kind of double-check my sanity, right? I'd be like, uh, <laughs> did I just really see that? But notice what Cornelius did. He doesn't even hesitate. He, he's, like, he's like, guys, come here. I just had this vision. I know it's from God. Go and, and, and go find this guy. It's, it's incredible. But remember, his family, he and his family are devout and God-fearing. Cornelius knows this is a vision from God, and he moves on it. So listen, here, this is an important point. I won't, it'll probably be up there. As soon as you can confirm that you're hearing from God, you need to act upon it. As soon as you can confirm that you're hearing from God, you need to act upon it. Now, if God's saying, wait, 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 uh, not yet, you know, obviously you act on the not yet. You act by being patient. But if you hear God saying something to you, you act upon it. Look at Peter, verse uh, 17 through 22. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, remember he had the vision of the, the animals coming down on the, on the blanket. Uh, while he's wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. So while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. And so in verse 23, we're not there yet, it's not there yet, but then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. Peter here has just come off of the fact that um, Jesus has been crucified, buried, and then resurrected, and he's running around telling everybody about it. There's a lot of people out there that don't like this. The Pharisees don't like this. There's, there's people in the Roman government who don't like this. And so Peter had a ton of bad guys who were kind of out looking for him. They either want to rough him up or they want to kill him. And so for Peter, all it took was a little reassurance from God to say, hey, Peter, I sent some guys to come get you. I want you to go downstairs and talk to them. And so Peter knew he was hearing from God, and the Holy Spirit then confirmed it for him, right? And we see the same thing that happened with Cornelius happen with Peter. As soon as you can confirm that God is speaking to you, you need to act on it. Y'all have had this experience, right? I mean, if, if you're like in the grocery store and you just feel God saying, hey, I want you to pay for the groceries for the person in front of you, right? I mean, it's just like crazy, right? I mean, it's, it's crazy, God, you know? It's, no, come on, really? Um, but the thing is, the more time you commit to spending with God in prayer, maybe even fasting, um, 
when you spend time with him by learning more about him here because you've got it all written out, the more time you do that, the more, I won't say the more often, but the more likely of a chance it is God's going to ask you to do something crazy. It was crazy for a vision to kind of come down on Cornelius and Peter. It was kind of crazy. Now, Peter's probably used to it because, you know, he's Peter. He's seen a lot. Cornelius? Not really. This is crazy. This is crazy stuff. Leave, um, my wife, um, she was working in a hospital a long time ago, um, before we were married, before I even knew her, probably, so this is going on six years, so probably about eight years ago in Oklahoma City. She didn't have a whole lot of friends because she moved up there, just took the job. It was a child life position where she helps children. Um, as, as they're dealing through hard stuff and takes the kids and plays with them, that kind of thing. It was a great job. She loved it. Um, so she's, she's hanging out in the hospital, and she just saw Christ in this one doctor, this one um, lady doctor. And um, as she was praying, she just felt God say, I want you to tell her. I want you to tell her. And, you know, I mean... That doesn't seem like a big deal, but we, you know when you get up to go tell somebody that, you know, it starts to, you, something works in you and your nerves get you and you're just like, your heart's beating. That's what was happening with her. She never saw her and then all of a sudden she ran into her in the gift shop, right, of the hospital. And so they had, you know, small talk, how you doing, good, good, good. And then, and then it was like, you know, her heart's just racing and the doctor's like, okay, well, we'll see you later. She's walking out the door and Leaves goes, no, wait! <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to say. And she goes, no, wait, like that. <laughs> and, and the doctor turns around and kind of walks back, and she goes, I have to tell you something. And the doctor's like, okay. And, and she said, I want you to know that I see Christ in you. And the doctor breaks down in tears, right? And, and, and she said, thank you for telling me this, because I have a little boy that I am dealing with right now that I cannot figure what is wrong with him. And, and, and I want the parents and, and the little boy to see Christ in me so much. But I, I don't know that they do because I'm, I'm struggling with this, this, you know, diagnosis. And I'm not sure what to do. That is so encouraging and so reassuring to me. Thank you. And these were her exact words. She said, thank you for taking the time to hear from God. It's a big deal because when God asks you to do something, a lot of times it's going to be crazy. But God has a plan and a purpose for you doing it. Don't, don't neglect it when you know he's confirmed something in your heart. Go and take action on it. And then uh, lastly, let's build up the momentum. Um, building up the momentum. Verse 23, um, second part of verse 23 uh, it says, the next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. Talking with, talking with him... Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. So, so what's going on here is 
the Jews, you know, they don't mess with the Gentiles. They're unclean, right? They, they're, that's what they consider. They say, oh, you're not part of our race, so you're unclean. They actually called them names like dogs. And, and so um, this was a bad thing in the Jewish culture. He says, but God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So we see the deeper meaning here of what God was saying when he lets this, this blanket down with all the animals, right? He's saying, this doesn't just apply to animals. This doesn't just apply to your food. This applies to all people. Don't look at anybody as if they're unclean. Don't look at anybody as if you're better than them or as if they cannot have a relationship with me. Verse 29 so when I was sent for, I came without raising objection. May I ask why you sent for me? And then it goes on. We're not going to go through it. But Cornelius says, tells him about the vision. And Peter's like, man, that's great. He's like, I know um, not to have favoritism. And then he presents Jesus to them. Now, here's the thing that I want to point out here. Um, we need to capitalize for God. And I want to make a clear distinction I don't want us to capitalize on God. That's selfish. That would be capitalizing on something God's doing for our gain. I want us to capitalize for God, for God's kingdom. And notice what Cornelius did here in, um, in, in verse uh, 24. It says, he was expecting them, Peter and them, and called together his relatives and close friends. So everybody that, that Cornelius loved, he brings them in, he invites them in. He's like, dude, this man of God's coming. He was actually like, with this guy named Jesus and something big was going on with him and he's going to tell us about it. It's going to be cool. Everybody that he loved, he invited. Peter realized when he saw all these people, the full weight not only of, of his vision but of what's standing here right in front of him. And so here's the thing that we need to do. This is the practice, some of the practical application um, and we'll get to that in a minute but some, something that we need to think in our thinking. We need to see where God wants to go because he's going to lead us. And we need to follow him prayerfully. Because here's the thing. A lot of times we have our own plans and we think they may be God's plans. I mean, we, we, we all do it. But you have to run it through this filter and ask God, God, is this your plan or my plan? Because a lot of times our, plan are, our plans are going to be safe and assuming and, you know, just logical. Where God's plans a lot of times are just crazy, right? Just, I mean, just nuts. You just, okay, God, this is crazy. But here's the thing. If we go and follow our plan, we're not following. We're leading. And God doesn't follow us. We follow God. We need to understand that when we follow God, that's exactly what we should do. We should follow. So, if, if God, is, is God has got his plan for us, and, and oftentimes that plan is going to be crazy, right? It's going to be nuts. Like, this is crazy right now, right? Okay? And sometimes when you're walking along and following God's plan, I mean, you're going to end up getting a little too close to people. You know what I'm saying? How you doing, Ben? You're going to get up. I mean, it's gonna, you may end up getting really close to people when you didn't want to, right? You may end up going in a direction that you didn't think you would be going. You're going to end up doing things 
that you didn't think you would be doing. And, and you can look at it as two ways. You can freak yourself out and be like, oh, no, what am I going to do? Or you can say, this is an incredible adventure that God is leading me on. We need to follow. It may not be where you think it will go. It may not be where you want it to go. But it will be the best path in your relationship, with your relationship with him. So, all that to say, Cornelius and Peter come together. Peter then just tells them about Jesus, right? You, you, you hear it called preaching the gospel, right? But he's telling them about Jesus. And then all of a sudden, all of these people that are there, his family, his friends, they all come to know Jesus and, and, and they begin a personal relationship with him. And then it, they get baptized. It's not up on the screen, but at the end, Peter said, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? Because baptism is that, is that, um, that symbolic uh, representation, that symbolic public representation of Jesus being buried uh, when, he goes under the, when you go under the water and then raised to life, right? So, so all of these people are like, I want to be baptized. I want to publicly declare my faith. This is a big deal. Because as your snowball grows and as you grow in your relationship with Christ, you're not going to be able to avoid others. Other people are going to just naturally be gravitating towards you as, as they grow in their own relationship with Christ, as they see Christ in you. I mean, it's just going to be this natural gravitation. And so this is the point to where God calls you to do something crazy again and says, I want you to tell them about me. It's crazy. So let's talk about some practical application real quick. First of all, do you guys see how God interacts with us? How when we have our momentum going and we kind of do our part and God brings in that spiritual momentum and he's doing his part I mean is that making sense God and us moving together creates this momentum right and and, and so here's what I want to ask you what can you do what can I do today to make my heart more open to God what can I do today to make my heart more open to God? Because if you're walking in trust, I meant to have the, the, the whiteboard up here, but just imagine the little man here, and he's trusting and obeying, and God challenges him. And, and, and then you've got this little man here, and, and he's challenged by that. What does that man have to do? He has to then step out and say, okay, I'm going to take this challenge. I'm going to trust and obey you, God. And then you come back here, and, and you know it's like this cycle. Right? And it gets bigger and bigger and you grow and grow and grow and grow and grow in your relationship with Him. What can you do today, no matter where you're at in your relationship with Christ? What can you do today to make your heart more open to God? And then the next thing um, I think is so important is, is to defeat your dark side. You can't do this alone. You need God's help. But you need to, to first identify it. And, and so... The question you need to ask is, what keeps my relationship with Christ from growing is blank. What keeps my relationship with Christ from growing is blank. What is that? I mean, it could be anything in the world, any sin, any, any whatever. I mean, 
Sometimes mine is just laziness, you know. I get up and I'm just like, ah, i got to get going. I don't want to do it. So once you identify that, how can you then repent? Now, the word repent has been hijacked by, by corner preachers, right? Repent, repent, right? But the word repent, all it means is to turn away from. To, to turn away from for good. How can you repent from your dark side? How can you turn away from that? What boundaries can you set up, right? Um, if, if it's gluttony, okay, then, then you put a lock on the, on the pantry, right? Um, if, it's, if it's porn... You, you take the internet off of your phone and you put a, a, a heavy-duty uh, browser protection thingy, whatever you call those, on, on your computer. If it's, if it's, you know, just anger, then you learn how to breathe, right? I mean, you just learn how to stay calm. And you put a boundary. You don't get near these things that, that, um, that you know are going to just tick you off. How do you repent from that? How do you turn away from that? And then, what specifically keeps me from spending quality time in Scripture and prayer is blank. What specifically keeps me from spending quality time in Scripture and prayer is blank. You know, mine, like I said, is time. There's never enough time. In the morning, there's never enough time. And so, I actually create time. I make sure that the first thing that I do in the morning is set aside the time to spend with Christ, to spend with Him. Because once I get started in my day, it's gone, you know? And, and even if I can get back to reading a little bit of Scripture, my head's going already in a thousand different directions, thinking about all these other things. It's so hard. Here's another question. What I read in Scripture but do not do is blank. What I read in Scripture but do not do is what? What is that in your life? Maybe it's evangelism. I'd say evangelism. Maybe it's just telling others about Jesus. Maybe, maybe it's, it's, it's self-control. Maybe it's anger. Um, you know, getting that, self con- getting that anger under control, having self-control. What, what is that for you? Um, and then t- talking about other people, and this is something we talk about in the members' meeting, so, um, but I wanted to bring it up here, and it doesn't necessarily directly apply here, um, but it applies to this whole momentum thought. And that is um, the pools that you jump into. What pools do you jump into? Pools of people, I mean. Um, and work doesn't count. It counts if you hang out with those same people outside of work, but work doesn't count because you're working, right? You can't intently focus on people you can't invest in people there so what are the pools that you jump into the groups of people that you hang out with how are you investing in them um i've got three we, we go to the y at least three days a week um we have uh, soccer parents on ty's team and uh, we're just building relationships there and talking to people and then um, we're building a, a pool at, uh, at a, a local place a friend of mine owns um, down in the quarter. We're, we're building a pool there and talking to them, just trying to become regulars and just hanging out with people there. Where are your pools that you jump into? And when you jump into these pools, don't, don't be wading in the shallow end for years and years, okay? You've got to go deep with people. You've got to talk to them. You've got to spend time with them. You've got to invest in them. And then the last thing is this. 
you, and remember this, you are the only one who can remain broken before Jesus. Nobody else can do this for you. You are the only one who can be in prayer and be devout to God, who can, what does it say, be devout and God-fearing. You are the only one who can take the time and say, I'm going to take this time for you, God. You are the only one that can be broken and have a broken heart for God. Do not become a full-time worker and a part-time follower of Christ or a full-time single or student and a part-time follower of Christ or, or a full-time parent and a part-time follower of Christ. Be a full-time follower of Christ and then who you are. Be full-time with God. The thing that I notice about churches is that ministries and churches that have it you know, you know, have this momentum going, and you go there, and the Holy Spirit is moving in them, and, 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 and things are working, and, and we see this here, you know, it's, sometimes it's sporadic, sometimes it's off and on, and, um, but lately it's been more and more and more, the thing, the, the thing I see about the churches that have it, that have this momentum, that have the Holy Spirit moving in their lives, is that they have leaders who have it, and I'm working so hard to to, to have it, to keep it, to hold on to it. We're going to talk more about that through this series. To just spend time with God. But it's also that the congregation as a whole, you guys have it. We are spending time with God. And as you spend time with God, and you spend time with God, and you spend time with God, and all of a sudden we come up here and there's something energetic and, and, and there's like lightning in the room. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you just come in and you're just like, oh, this is cool. And there may be five of us here. But something's happening. And, and the church has it. I want us to open up God's word and read it and speak it. Because it is living and it is sharp and it is powerful. It's alive because God spoke it and he's still alive today. I want us to believe in that same all-powerful, alive God. I want us to together, individually and also together, to spend time in prayer and bring fasting before God. And, and, and let's see if when we do all these things, let's see if God doesn't do something incredible in us and, and this momentum just starts going and going and going. And I guarantee you, when we spend time with God, He's going to pour his life into us. He already is, but we're just connecting with him. He's, I mean, things are going to happen. I'm not talking about attendance. That may come, sure. I'm talking about life change, and I'm talking about heart change in us and in the people around us. Momentum. God wants to use us so that we can help others know him so that we can grow in him. Father, I pray that you will teach us more about how you use this momentum, how you, how you come into our lives and how you speak to us and challenge us. God, I know that today was different. But for those of us that are here, I pray that you help us to think about these things. I pray that we will pray through these things, Father, that, that we will dwell on your word 
and we will sit with you in prayer so that, so that we can anticipate and just wait on you to do something incredible. Father, as we manufacture momentum, we pray that you will inject your Holy Spirit into us to know you more and more and more. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.